God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the sufficiency of your word and the clarity of your word. And we thank you for the power of your word and the transforming nature of your word. That you have given your truth so that we might know you and know ourselves and know our great need for you. And by trusting in you, have the power that you supply so that we can, in fact, walk in a way that is pleasing to you. We pray that you would help us to do that for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin by reading a verse from the book of Song of Solomon. If you would take your Bible, go to Song of Solomon, chapter 6. Song of Solomon, chapter 6. I want to begin by reading Song of Solomon 6.3, and in this opening session, I want to teach on marriage helps, marriage helps. And as you're turning to Song of Solomon, I recognize that many of you are married and many of you are not married. Some have been married for many years and some have been married for just a few years. But God's word gives guidance and grace and help and counsel to all of us. And if you're here today single and you think, well, maybe this doesn't apply to me. Actually, it does apply to you so that you can know how to pray for those who are married, how you can encourage those who are married, how you can come alongside of them and encourage them as well. Song of Solomon, chapter six, Solomon wrote this wonderful book. It's a love letter. It's a book that God has given in the Bible all about the topic of marriage and love. Song of Solomon 6 verse 3. He says, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. This is the wife speaking here. I am my beloved's. I belong to him and my beloved is mine. I want that to be sort of the guiding verse for us in our study together. A mutual commitment of love and togetherness in the bond of marriage. But I have to begin with a story because Steve had to go outside late at night to quiet his barking dogs. After he quieted the dogs, he came back in the house and he loudly shouted to his wife. He said, Rhonda, come here quickly. So Rhonda comes because he loudly shouted in the house and he said, there's a snake in the house. And Steve said, Rhonda, I need you to watch the snake carefully while I go get the shovel and while I go get the knife in order to kill it. But you've got to watch the snake to see where it goes. Well, she gets out her cell phone to video record all of this. And of course, she jumps on the couch so that she would be higher in elevation. And so she's watching the snake and keeping her eye on it. And a few minutes later, Steve, the husband, comes back and he's armed and dangerous. And slowly he approaches the snake. He takes the shovel and he pins the head of the snake to the floor with the knife in one hand, the shovel in the other. And then he cuts off the head of that serpent. By her own testimony, it was a bloody mess on her tile floor right by the front door. But thankfully, the action of Steve and Rhonda kept them safe against the venomous poison of that rattlesnake that had entered their home. It's a great story that reminds us of 
unexpected intrusions that happen in life. Unexpected intrusions that remind us of the unexpected intruders that can come into our marriages and into our relationships. When, when least expected, intruders can enter in and they can incite damage, just like that rattlesnake intruding into the home of Steve and Rhonda. But that radical action that Steve took in protecting the family and getting rid of that dangerous snake, that is a picture of the zealous and the committed care that we need to have to protecting our marriages from unexpected intruders. What I want to preach on and what I want to teach on for the next little while together in this particular topic of the relationship series is I want to I want to give some marriage helps and some counsels for marriage and as we begin I must tell you that the hope for every troubled marriage is Christ and his gospel. We need to know and be reminded that the hope for every discouraged marriage is Christ and the gospel. You need to hear that the hope for every coasting marriage is Christ and his gospel. The hope for every lifeless marriage is Christ and his gospel. And even if there's a marriage that is thriving and healthy, the hope for that marriage is Christ and his gospel. What I want to preach on and what I want to remind you of is that hope in your marriage is not found in you. And hope for your marriage is not found in your mate But hope for your marriage is found outside of you in Christ and in his sufficient grace. Now, as we go through this topic of marriage in the two o'clock family Bible hour today, I want to give you some marriage reminders today. I'm, I'm not trying to be clever. I'm not trying to think through something that you've never heard of before. That's not my goal. My goal, as you look at the outline there, I have three simple headings that I want to walk through with you. And one of them is I want to deal with the creation of marriage. And then I must deal with cautions for your marriage. And then third, counsels for your marriage. Creation, cautions, and then counsels for your marriage. The opening account of a rattlesnake that entered the house of Stephen Rhonda And the quick action that they took against that unexpected intruder is the same kind of deliberate action that we need to take to guard against the unexpected intruders in our marriage. But let's begin where the Bible begins and where God tells us in the word of God regarding the creation of your marriage. Because we need to understand, if we are honest, that you and I live in a day of battle. We live in a day of battle. We are, we are battling to uphold the dignity and honor and glory and the divine beauty of marriage. Marriage is fully under attack today. Fully under attack. And Hebrews 13.4 is certainly relevant for us. Marriage is to be held in honor among all. So we need to understand marriage the way God defines it in the Bible is never, ever defined by culture. Marriage isn't defined by a court of human leaders or human judges. Marriage is not defined as a cultural issue. It's not a peripheral issue. Well, it's just not a big deal. We, we can't resort to that. 
Marriage is not a subjective issue left to the whims of our feelings. And nor is marriage kind of one of those old school fundamentalist issues that that is just sort of part of the Puritan-esque age from a few centuries ago. No, marriage is under attack. It is under attack. And the evil one himself and the world that lies in the power of the evil one is no doubt attacking the definition of marriage. The evil one is attacking the roles in marriage. The evil one is attacking the duration of marriage, meaning, is it a permanent commitment for life or not? The evil one is attacking the headship in marriage, the headship of men who are called by God to lead. The evil one is attacking the meaning of marriage. What is marriage rightly understood? And let's just be quite simple. The the evil one is attacking even the participation of marriage. A lot of people just aren't getting married nowadays. They're just cohabiting. They're just living together for any and all kinds of reasons. But the Bible tells us that God created marriage. And here's what I love telling men and women in marital counseling. Because God created your marriage... He and he alone has the answers for your marriage. He has the answers for your marriage. And God blesses marriage. And so he's the one who tells us what is best for a marriage that would honor him and glorify him. So point one is the creation of marriage. Let's, let's look at this. Take your Bible and go back to Genesis chapter 2. Now, we began with Song of Solomon. We're going to come back to that here in a little bit. But look with me at Genesis chapter 2. And I want you to follow with me as I read verses 18 to the end of the chapter. This is the creation, the very beginning of marriage. And here's what the word of the Lord says. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept, and then he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the very definition of marriage, the very beginning of marriage from the mind, the design, the plan of God. Let's just draw out some simple applications and observations from this paragraph. Number one, marriage is created by God. 
Marriage is created by God. And Jesus, we know, agreed with this. He had the exact same conviction about marriage because he said in Matthew chapter 19 that from the beginning God created them male and female. And God said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. What God has joined together, let no man separate. So Jesus, in Matthew 19, even affirms and agrees with Genesis chapter 2 that marriage is created by God. Man didn't invent it. This isn't an invention of culture. It's not bound by a culture. It's made and designed by God. The second observation that I want to give you is not only is it created by God, second, it is a joining together for life. It is a joining together for life. And I want, to, I want you to look in your Bible at Genesis 2.24, because here's what Moses wrote. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined. Now, the Hebrew word joined is a word that means super glue. They are to be super glued. They are to be cemented together or maybe a different metaphor, welded together for life. They are to stick together. The Hebrew word is used of parts of the body that are joined together to function well. It's even used in the Bible of of a warrior whose hand clings to the sword when he's on the front lines of battle. You're holding on to that firmly. Well, God's design, his purpose for marriage is for a joining of a man and a woman for life. Now, of course, there are ways in which sin creeps in, of course, and God makes allowances, two of them, for divorce. But his purpose, his plan, his design from the very beginning is permanence in marriage for life. A third observation that I want to give you from this opening paragraph here, third, is that marriage is to be enjoyed without shame. It is to be enjoyed without shame. Notice the very last verse of Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. The man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. There is an open honesty about them. Not only physically were they naked, but there's nothing to hide. There's no shame. There's full and open sharing. There is a complete honesty and openness and vulnerability one with another in the marriage relationship that is unlike any other marriage in our lives. And then fourth, the fourth observation from Genesis 2 is that marriage is designed by God to showcase the gospel. It is designed by God to showcase the gospel, not only in Genesis 2, but this is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5 when he quotes Genesis 2. He says that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And later on in Ephesians 5, he quotes Genesis 2, and he says, I am talking with reference to Christ and the church. So, so get this, in the mind of God, when he created marriage, the design of God in God's infinite mind was for the relationship between a man and a woman who comes together for a permanent relationship in marriage to be a walking demonstration of the gospel of Christ. That's God's picture. That's his design. That is God's order. 
And from the early chapters of Genesis, we learn, Genesis 2, we read the paragraph, that marriage is heterosexual. One man and one woman. It is a monogamous relationship. Only one man and one woman. It is a sexual relationship. Not only, but it includes a sexual element to the relationship. Becoming one flesh, joining together for life, naked and not ashamed. We learn from Genesis that there is a male headship in the marriage relationship. That is, the husband is the leader. The husband is to be the provider. The husband is to be the protector of the family. God brought the woman to the man. It is not good for the man to be alone. So God makes a helpmate for him. He is the one who names her. He has headship over the wife. It's a, it's a male headship relationship. And then also we learn in Genesis chapter 2 that it is a permanent relationship as well. They are joining together as one flesh. Now, as we think about all of this, just by way of introduction, with the creation of marriage and the design of God in marriage, I know those are the building blocks. That's the foundation. But we need to clarify that because everything this culture is shouting at you is the opposite of this. So you might have heard this before, it might be old news to you, but with all of the bombarding that we're getting from our world and media and movies and so on, we need clarity from the beginning on God as the designer and creator of marriage. But another thing that I share with couples when I meet with them is, I'm not here just to give you a marriage that survives. My goal, by the grace of God, is for you to have a marriage that sings. I want you to sing the gospel by your marriage. I want your marriage to thrive. Whether someone here is preparing for marriage, maybe someone is engaged to be married or newly married, or you've been married 10 years or 50 years. God's word provides the sufficient counsel and it provides the perfect wisdom All that you need to honor God, to serve your spouse, to love like Christ in your marriage context. You and I need this today. Listen to Proverbs 18, verse 22. Whoever finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. The word favor is the word grace. When a man finds a wife, that that is a grace gift from God to the man. In Proverbs 19:14, a prudent wife is from the Lord. In the Hebrew, the phrases are actually reversed for emphasis. From the Lord comes a prudent wife. The emphasis is that she is a gift from God. 2 Timothy 3:16, God has given what you need in his inspired word for you to be an adequate man of God, equipped for every good work, whatever work that might be in your marriage context, God gives you what you need so that you can honor him. So that's the creation of marriage. You know that, you've heard that, you understand that, we've preached on that before. You, you are clear on that. But second, what we need to have is we need to understand the cautions in marriage. Look in your outline at number two, the cautions for your marriage. So when you're driving down the road and that little light illuminates on your dashboard like a check engine light, 
Uh-oh, okay, I've got to check something. I've got to open the hood. I've got to look underneath. It's a caution. It's a warning. It's an indicator. Well, we need those relationally as well. When there's something under the hood that is not functioning right, when it's not going as it is designed to go, we need that little indicator, that caution to help us. And here's a number of cautions that I could give. I'm going to mention them, but I'm going to bypass them because I want to focus on a different one. One of the cautions that we need to be on guard against in our marriages is misplaced priorities. Misplaced priorities, like Deuteronomy 24.5 helps us guard from. We need to guard against complacency in our marriage. It's very easy to grow complacent. We're in, we're married, we've been together, we're happy together, we're comfortable with each other, and just kind of grow complacent over time. 1 Corinthians 7, and 34 helps guard against that. Another warning, another caution that we need to be on guard against is the sin of selfishness that can creep into our marriage. Philippians 2 says, don't look out for your own personal interests, but for those of others. And so Philippians 2, 3, and 4 can be very helpful uh, as we seek to battle selfishness in our marriage. Or another caution would be that of impatience and unmet expectations. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that love is patient, love is kind, love is not boastful, it does not envy, it does not keep a record of wrongs, and so on. Impatience and unmet expectations. And, and with that, another caution that we have to really guard against is keeping a record of wrongs. Or the way Proverbs chapter 16, 27 talks about it is digging up past evils. Don't dig up past evils. The things that happened long ago, maybe they've been dealt with, maybe they've been repented of, maybe they've been reconciled from, not digging those back up and using them for ammunition, for a present argument or conversation. But what I want to do is not deal so much with those. That would be helpful and profitable to do. But I want to focus on another caution and sort of apply that in many different ways. Take your Bible and turn with me after Psalms, after Proverbs, after Ecclesiastes. Go with me to Song of Solomon chapter 2. There's a verse. I remember preaching through this book years ago, and we were going through Song of Solomon chapter 2, and verse 15 is just one of those little verses. It gripped my heart, and I, and I studied it, and I thought about it. And it so impacted me, I I just haven't gotten past it. It is so instructive for me, and I trust for us. Listen to Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 15. It is the context of those who are speaking to the man and the woman in love. Verse 15, catch the foxes for us. The little foxes that are ruining the vineyards while our vineyards are in blossom. What I want to focus on in the next few minutes together as we sort of zoom in on this caution is we need to be aware of the little foxes that can creep into your marital vineyard. 
Guard from these distractions, from these intruders. And they're called little foxes in verse 15. Catch the little foxes. This is a metaphor for those things in your marriage that threaten the couple and their love. It's like these little foxes are little villains. And they've got the potential to wreak havoc in your marriage. And even to destroy if... Unguarded, they're called little foxes. Let me just make a couple of comments before we apply this in many ways, which you have in your outline. First of all, we need to be on guard that these are so dangerous they need to be caught. Do you see that there in verse 15? Catch the foxes. The Hebrew word means you need to seize them. You need to grab a hold of them. Before they ruin the vineyard, it's an imperative command. You can't just notice it. You can't just recognize it's there. You can't even agree to it. You've got to catch these things. You've got to seize them. Be aggressive to battle these little foxes. We've got to be active, not passive. We've got to get up and do something about these little foxes. Which leads me to think two things about these little foxes. Number one, trouble in marriage often springs from small things. Now, there are big things that could happen, sure, but but trouble in marriage often springs from small things, like a fox. Foxes are, are not big, they're not huge, they're small, sneaky, sly, quick, like a miscommunication. Like a role responsibility that has been misunderstood or misapplied. Like a misunderstanding about finances or trouble in sexual related matters. Or not seeing eye to eye regarding the parenting of children or the spanking of children. Or issues with in-laws or aging parents or grandchildren or, or maybe conflict resolution that just hasn't come naturally together. And just like a little fox, it can just sort of creep in unexpected. So trouble in marriage can often spring from small things. But I think a second lesson that we get from verse 15 is that the marriage relationship is a uniquely sensitive relationship, like a vineyard. Like a vineyard. You see, a vineyard has to be cultivated. It's got to be well kept. You've got to carefully maintain the vineyard because if you don't, it's going to be overgrown quickly. And little animals and predators are going to come in and ravish the place. So it needs time to grow and bear fruit and grow strong and be healthy. And just like a vineyard, it can be vulnerable to predators. And so we need to guard the sensitive vineyard, as it were, of marriage. Now, in the second heading that you have in your outline on the cautions of marriage, I want to give you, which you have these headings there in your notes, I want to give you some little foxes. Now, as I have thought about marriage, as Elizabeth and I have counseled marriages, as she and I talk about our own marriage, as we've done premarital counseling, these are some of the little foxes that we need to all be on guard against. Number one, beware of the little fox of role reversal. 
Role reversal. Remember in Genesis chapter 3, right when sin entered the world, remember how God said that Eve's desire would be to rule over her husband. Remember that? And then in chapter 4, there's a similar phrase. Sin is scratching at your door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. One of the results of the fall, one of the effects of sin is the role reversal of the wife and her desire at times to rule over her husband. Because of sin, man is often tempted to be passive and inactive. And then the woman is then tempted to be the aggressive one and the decision maker and the leader of the family. And yet God makes it very clear in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 that this should not be that way. We need to beware of the little fox of role reversal. Let me give you a second little fox that we need to be on guard against. Number two, beware of the little fox of intimacy stagnation. Intimacy stagnation. To, 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 to be stagnant means that you're kind of in a state of not moving, just not flowing, a, a lack of activity, a lack of growth. First Corinthians chapter 7 Verses 1 and 2 speak of the importance of a husband and a wife in a healthy marriage coming together intimately, physically, sexually. Proverbs 5 shows how that is a protection for the husband and the wife, for them to be together intimately. The whole book of Song of Solomon, all over the place, talks about the importance of and the need for the husband and wife to come together intimately. But here's what we have to remember. Intimacy in the Christian marriage is to be entirely otherworldly. It ought to be unworldly, meaning not like the things of this world. It ought to be worshipful to God. It ought to be an act of selfless sacrifice to praise and honor God and to serve and please my spouse. Not not a worldly endeavor, but an unworldly, a worshipful endeavor for the glory of God. We need to third, beware of the fox of poor communication. Now, just briefly, Proverbs 15. Let, Let me just read a couple of verses here. Proverbs chapter 15. If you want to stick these verses kind of in your tool belt as you think about relationships and communication or helping others in marital relationships. Proverbs 15 helps guard from poor communication. Verse 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of fools spouts folly. Or we might even Skip down to verse 4. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. Or later in verse 23, a man has joy in an apt answer. And how delightful is a timely word. How delightful is a timely word. So in the marriage, we have to guard from these little foxes, listen to this, of critical comments. We have to guard from defensiveness. We have to guard from contempt, a kind of a mocking, kind of a sneering comment. We, we have to guard against stonewalling our spouse, just kind of withdrawal or indifference or apathy. We have to guard against silence and oh, I'm just too tired to talk. I'm too tired to deal with it today. 
Wayne Mack writes, wherever you find marital failure, he says, you're going to find a breakdown in real communication. But wherever you find marital success, you will find a good communication system. May the Lord help me and you that we would be on guard against that little fox of poor communication. Number four, another fox that we need to be on guard against is the little fox of time poorly spent together. Time poorly spent together. Now, we have to guard against hobbies that can become gods. We have to guard from excessive internet, excessive social media, excessive email, TV, sports, excessive concern over the children, even video games that can take away your time from your mate. Kids, children, teenagers, however young, however small, are wonderful gifts from the Lord, but yet they can also be at times little foxes that get in the way of you and your mate. Remember, We need to keep a marriage-centered home, earthly speaking, a marriage-centered home, not a child-centered home, or not a work-centered home, or a hobby-centered home, or whatever it might be. I love Ecclesiastes 9.9 as the verse for this point. Ecclesiastes 9.9, Solomon says that a man will enjoy life with the wife whom he loves. What a great verse. A, A man of God will enjoy life. With the wife whom he loves. Deuteronomy 24.5 says that when a man marries a woman, he is to refrain from his military work for one year so that he can give pleasure and joy and happiness to his wife. You see, so we want to guard from that little fox of time poorly spent together. Another caution that we need to guard from. Number five, we need to be aware of the fox of outside interference. Outside interference. Certainly that includes uh, the sensual lust of adultery. We as men must strive to be a one-woman man. And women should strive, like the widows in 1 Timothy 5, to be a one-man woman if they are married. It's like what we read in Song of Solomon 6.3. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. There's an exclusivity there. It's not just you're the one for me. You're the only one in the whole world. There is no other one for me. You are it. Song of Solomon 6 verse 9. My dove, my perfect one is unique. I love the Hebrew word for unique. It means you are the only one for me. You're not just one in a million. You're the only one for me. You're the only one. Question for us. Does your wife or does your husband know that you are fully, totally, completely his or hers? To verbally say that and use the language even of Song of Solomon chapter 6 verse 9. My perfect one is unique. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. 
Number six, another fox that we have to guard from in your outline is we have to beware the fox of misunderstanding and unmet expectations. Now, when we misunderstand one another, when we have unmet expectations, it can breed bitterness, it can breed discontentment, it can breed self-righteous pride. And here's how you know that this little fox is creeping into your vineyard. When you begin to have thoughts like this, I thought you were going to do this. Or I thought, I thought, I thought. Or maybe this phrase, surely, surely he would have known that. Surely he or she would have done this. Or maybe this question, why didn't you? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you say that? Why didn't you respond this way? Didn't you know that? Well, Ephesians 4.25 says that we are to speak the truth each one with his neighbor because we are members of one another. One of the statements that I often go to in marital counseling is Proverbs 18:15, the mind of the prudent acquires knowledge. Rather than an assumed declaration, you didn't do this. Let's ask more questions. Can you clarify? Help me understand. Here's the way I perceived it. Can you clarify from your perspective? That is a very helpful guard against misunderstanding and unmet expectations. And then, number seven in your outline, I was just going to give one more brief caution. Little fox that we have to be on guard against. Number seven, beware the fox of fatigue that can separate you. Of course, our God is the God who brings us together, and Satan is the master divider. God is the God of order. Satan loves to sow seeds of chaos and discord and selfishness. And yet, in the marriage, we have to fight, even at the cost of sleep at times, to make, to maintain, and to protect the nurture of the vineyard of the marriage. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7, many waters cannot quench love. This, this idea of a, of a total commitment, nothing is going to separate us. We, we are in this covenant together. The whole world could come against us, but we are committed and covenanted to one another by the grace of God. So we need to just say that one to another, just verbalize it. Divorce will never be an option. I'm going to choose to stay together with you because I'm choosing you and then I'm choosing to love you. But in your relationship, in your marriage, which one of these little foxes in your relationship prowls in your vineyard? Which, which one of these little foxes is lurking in your relationship, in your marriage, that you need to be on guard against? These are, these are little warnings that God has given so that we would be aware and alert and protective and vigilant in guarding our marriages. So that's the caution. So we've seen the creation of marriage from God. We've seen the cautions for your marriage. Guard from the little foxes. But now with the time that remains, I need to summarize some of this here. That's always the problem with the preacher. I have far too many notes than I have time. Number three, let me give you some counsels. Some counsels for your marriage. What is the standard for love in a marriage? The standard for love is God. 
The standard for love is God. For all your comfort and hope and for all your strength, you need to look to the cross. How can I love that man? How can I love that woman? He did it again. She did it again. How do you love? Look to the cross. We look to the cross. Just like, you ever seen those people who constantly pull out their phone and they're constantly checking their email? They're constantly scrolling through their social media. They're like constantly on their phone. Well, we need to do that constantly looking to the cross and scrolling through, as it were, in this metaphor, what God has done for us in Christ so that we are constantly getting fresh supplies and encouragements of strength so that we can love our spouse in a way that honors God. Paul Tripp, I think, is spot on when he said marriages are fixed vertically before they are fixed horizontally. And I hope you know what he means by that. That that when there is conflict, when there is trouble in the marriage, the first thing is not a horizontal problem. The first is a vertical. I want to make sure that I'm right vertically because I'm a worshiper. And maybe my craving, maybe my desire, maybe my longing, maybe my ambition, maybe my want has become a God. And because I'm not getting what I want, I am responding sinfully. Every one of us are made by God to to desire happiness, joy. We all pursue some kind of dream or fulfillment or happiness. and, And so behind everything that we do is some kind of ambition and some kind of a hope. And yet when the worship of God takes priority, when we sort of realign and refocus on the worship of God, that's when hope and healing and restoration and reconciliation can come about. There's always hope in looking to Christ. Not in looking inward, but looking to Christ. And you know what? When you do that... There's always hope, always hope, because when you're at the shadow of the cross and you're gazing on the Savior who died for you, the Savior who rose for you, the Savior who intercedes for you, you're not surprised by your sin. And you don't have to present yourself as being overly righteous externally. We can say goodbye to all finger-pointing and blame-shifting and self-excusing. We can abandon all record of wrongs. Why? Because when we are at the foot of the cross, we don't need any of that. We have the forgiveness that is found and comes in Christ. Did you ever notice, as we take a couple of minutes here, let's go to Ephesians. Did you ever notice... How Paul gives instructions on a husband and a wife's role in marriage in Ephesians chapter 5. You can't live that out if Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 hasn't happened to you. And there's an order to the book. Ephesians 1, I've been teaching my kids in our morning Bible time, we're going through Ephesians. And I keep telling them, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 is the foundation for everything Paul's going to command you to do. But you can't obey the commands if Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 hasn't happened. So Ephesians 1, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit does this amazing, glorious work of salvation. Chapter 2, God saves by grace and he brings Jew and Gentile together in this wonderful, 
body of Christ. Chapter 3, we are partakers of Christ. We are members of the body of Christ. We can know the love of Christ. We are filled up to the fullness of God. Our God is able to do far more than we could ask or even think. That's the foundation for marriage. If that salvation work hasn't happened to you, then you can't live out the commands of chapter 5. Well, then you come to chapter 4. Therefore, in light of all that God has done... We are to live selfless lives, chapter 4, 1 to 3. And then we're to be serving in the church, chapter 4, verses 4 to 16. And then we are to be growing in Christ, putting off the old man and putting on the new man as we are being renewed in our minds in chapter 4. And then in chapter 5, oh, this is so cool, and so many, so many times in our marriage thinking we forget about this. Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 21, is about spirit-led or spirit-controlled living. If you and I are going to honor God, we've got to be controlled, filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay. You're saved, chapters 1 to 3. We're seeking to live a selfless life. And we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, chapter 5, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Be subject to your own husbands just as you would to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. So the, the, the point is, the wife has a role to fulfill, but she can only do that insofar as she is filled with the Holy Spirit. Same thing with the husbands in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How am I going to do that? Well, you got to be saved, chapters 1 to 3, and you got to be filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit, chapter 5, to love your wife and learn your wife and lead your wife and honor her. Amazing way that God brings marital counsel in Ephesians 5. He doesn't just give us a manual and says, here's the 10 points on marriage. He says, let's just make sure we got the gospel down. Make sure that we understand selfless living, church involvement in life, spirit-controlled living. Now the wife has a role and the husband has a role as an outflow of spirit-controlled living. There's so many questions, there's so many ways in which we could flesh this out even more, and I give you some of those questions in your outline. But as we draw this to a close, go to the, toward the end of your outline with some Christian commitments for a singing marriage. Christian commitments for a singing marriage. This is the daily plotting of a husband and a wife as they seek to grow in Christ-like living. Now, you see this there in your outline. Just follow with me. I want to read these because I think they are so vital for you and for me to make these commitments in our marriage. Number one, we will give ourselves to a lifestyle of confession and forgiveness. I mean, that's just begin right there. I'm not perfect. My wife isn't perfect. You're not perfect. We need to be people of confession, people of forgiveness, people who ask for and grant forgiveness. Number two, we need to make godly growth, that is putting off, putting on, the biblical change 
our common agenda in our lives. We want that to be our agenda, to be putting off the old man, putting on the new man. A third commitment, we want to work hard to build and maintain and protect a sturdy bond of trust. We need to work hard to build and maintain a sturdy bond of trust. Number four, we need to commit to building a relationship of selfless love. Work on it, work on it, keep refining it, keep growing in that way. Number five, we will deal with our differences with appreciation and grace. That's important because we're different. We always don't have the same opinion or idea or preference. So we deal with those with love and appreciation and humility and grace. And then number six, we need to vigilantly work to protect our marriage. So marriage, marriage is like a long-term exercise in gardening. I'm not a gardener, but my wife is. And what I have learned about gardening from her is that there simply aren't any shortcuts to gardening. Gardens begin with hard work. You've got to clean the land. It's not always fun, but it's essential. You've got to dig the holes for seeds. That isn't always fun, but that's necessary. And then you've got to maintain and tend a good garden. And that's hard, constant, frequent work. But, but when a garden is maintained, when a, when a garden is well kept, isn't it beautiful to see? It's beautiful, it's fragrant, it's enjoyable. It's a gripping sight to behold with your eyes. May it be that your marriage and my marriage would be like a healthy garden, well-kept and well-maintained for the glory of God. So as we look at the creation of marriage, the cautions of marriage, and then the counsels for marriage, may these be helpful, whatever stage of life, whatever season of life, so that you and I, wherever we are, can grow in our knowledge of Christ and our obedience to him. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the counsel that you've given in the truth. We pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we would have godly, thriving, and gospel-demonstrating marriages. In Jesus' name, amen.